have a, a time of prayer and recognition over our moms today. Um, as a person who was raised by a mother um, and father, I have a, a deep affection and appreciation. And the more that I've also seen the role that God has given mothers by watching my wife be a mom to our kids. Moms, I just want you to know that uh, from your pastor's heart, I'm so thankful for how God is using you to form the lives of the people who are around you. And so we want to spend just a moment praying for our moms. And before I, I recognize our moms, we also recognize that for many, this Mother's Day is a time that's difficult. Some of you have lost your mom in the last year or so. And it's a reminder that mom's not around the table today. Some of you desire to be mothers And Mother's Day is this place of reminder in you of something that you want that God has not yet given you. And so we want you to know that we're praying for you as well on this Mother's Day. But to recognize those moms who are among us, moms, I want to ask you to stand right where you are. I don't know where else you'd stand, but go ahead, moms, stand up. Don't be hesitant. And we know moms don't usually have the spotlight on them, but moms, we celebrate you today. We celebrate Jesus in you. And please remain standing because we want to pray for God's richest blessing over your lives, mom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these women that you have used, Father, to make the gospel known in this community, to form young men and women into the image of Jesus by your life through them. So God, we thank you for creating moms, giving us mothers and blessing us with these ladies who are standing here today. And Father, I pray your richest blessing over them. Lord, I ask that this would be a day filled with joy and gladness because of Jesus. That they would get to see in some way the fruit of their labor, how they've invested their lives into someone else. Lord, I pray you'd let them see some of the fruit of that, shadows of what it is that you are building into the lives of their children and grandchildren. And God, I do pray for those who have heavy hearts on this Mother's Day, that God, you would raise them up, lift them up as well. Lord, for every mother of a prodigal child, for every table that is missing mom today, for every heart that desires to be a mom and has yet to have children, Lord, I pray that you would give great grace today on this Mother's Day. Lord, thanks for my mom. Thanks for how she showed me your love. Thank you for how I get to see that in Emily as she raises our kids. Lord, we thank you for mom. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. You may be seated. Yeah, you can clap for mom. Somebody's doing it. You guys can do that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We just have two more studies in this verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians. And so we'll pick up this morning where we left off last week, Galatians chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading starting in verse 6. So Galatians chapter 6. I think most of you probably know the first words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And something you also know is that at the very beginning, when God created this universe, he set in place certain laws through which he would govern the universe in which we live. And so, for instance, we have the law of gravity and the laws of thermodynamics. We have Newton's laws of motion, and whether or not we are really familiar with the specifics of the laws of nature, all of us base our lives intuitively on the fact that those laws are true. For instance, 
You might not be familiar with Newton's laws of motion, but at night, if you sit down to watch some TV and you have a drink of water there next to you, it's probably likely that you'll set that drink down on the table beside you and and look at the TV and then intuitively reach for that drink, knowing it's going to be there. Not because you're familiar with the laws of motion, but you do know that objects at rest tend to stay at rest unless they're acted upon by an outside force. Well, that's one of Newton's laws of motions, right? So you just intuitively reach for that glass, expecting it to be there. Of course, if I am eating a bowl of ice cream while I watch television, I do not set it down because my children are outside forces waiting to act upon that bowl of ice cream. I think you get my drift. There are laws that God uses to govern the universe in which we live. Well, just like there are physical laws... There are spiritual laws that govern our lives as well. And our passage for this morning is about one of those spiritual laws. It's the law of sowing and reaping or the law of the harvest. And so let's look at the scripture today and see the law of the harvest in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of God for us this morning. And you see there, verse 7 clearly states the law of the harvest. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's the law of harvest. You will reap what you sow. And I would just venture to say that if you have graduated from kindergarten, you're pretty familiar with that law in the physical world, right? If you plant pepper seeds, you're going to get pepper plants that will yield peppers at harvest time, right? You you tracking with me so far? If you plant tomato seeds, what plant will you get? Tomatoes that will yield tomatoes at harvest time. Pretty elementary, right? That's about as far and as deep as I'm able to go on an intellectual level. But suppose you were the kind of person who thought you could be the exception to that law. Suppose that you thought you had some magical ability to turn peppers into tomatoes. Or suppose that our culture began to say that peppers could identify as tomatoes just if they desired to do so. Crazy, right? Suppose some religious leader said that as long as you sincerely believe that your peppers could be tomatoes, then it'll happen because sincerity is all that matters. Suppose you thought for some reason that you could be the exception to the rule of sowing and reaping. Would any of those factors make any difference at all? No. Why? Because God is God and you are not. And God has set certain laws into this universe that govern our lives in it. God won't be mocked, the Bible says. Pepper seeds will produce peppers, period. And that's why Paul introduces our text this morning the way he does. He says, don't be deceived. Now, why would he say don't be deceived? Well, because there are influences at work in us and around us attempting to deceive 
us. He says, don't be deceived. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It doesn't matter how sincerely you believe otherwise. It doesn't matter what your religious traditions are. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow is what you will reap. And church, that's our big idea for this morning. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And just saying that out loud reminds me of what a sober and serious truth that is. Friend, God has given you and I the ability to make real decisions. We'll make real choices and we can choose what and how and when we sow. But we cannot change the laws of God. As surely as the sun rose up this morning, as surely as it will set this evening, the day is coming when you and I will reap what we have sown in this life. And Paul says there are only two kinds of spiritual seed. You're either sowing one or the other. Look again at verse 8. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do you see the two kinds of seeds there? It's it's first, there are seeds that we sow to our own flesh. And then there are seeds that we sow to the Spirit of God. And if you've been with us on this verse-by-verse study through Galatians, that paradigm should ring familiar. The flesh and the Spirit. Over and over again, Paul has been contrasting throughout this whole letter the flesh and the Spirit. As a matter of fact, at the end of Galatians chapter 5, we saw that there's a battle taking place in all of us and around all of us between the flesh and the Spirit. And the Spirit. And in chapter 5, we defined or looked at the fact that the flesh is the self centered, self reliant part of us that has been corrupted by sin. We saw this flesh is always focused on itself. So whether it's expressed in self righteous, self reliant religion or self indulgent, self centered immorality, either way, the flesh is always focused on itself. But the life of the Spirit is not a life that's focused on self. It's a life that's focused on Jesus and depends on Christ to be for us and to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And what we saw at the end of chapter 5 is when you trust in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will literally live his life through you. So the Holy Spirit will produce Christ's character in you. That's what the fruit of the Spirit are. It is a a demonstration of Christ's character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the life of Christ coming out of us by the power of the Holy Spirit when we focus by faith on Jesus and depend on him and not our own ability. Those are the two things that we are able then, Paul says, to sow seed into. We could sow seed to the flesh with self-centered, self-reliant, self-justifying, self-indulgent living. Or we can sow seeds to the Spirit of God by focusing in faith on Jesus and depending on Him. So here's what I take Paul to be saying with all of that context in mind. That there are only two ways to sow. Flesh and Spirit. So I take him to be saying when you live a life of self-centered, self-reliant, self-indulgent living. 
You're sowing to the flesh. And when you live a life that is Christ-centered, not self-centered, a life of Christ-centeredness that's expressed in loving others, you are sowing to the Spirit. There are only two ways to sow. And then he says, the very next thing, when you sow, you need to know that harvest is coming. What you sow in this life will determine what you reap in the end. And I want you to notice what he says you will reap. In verse 8, he says, if you sow to the flesh... You will from the flesh reap corruption. That word corruption translates a word that means decay or destruction. He's saying this. If you live a life that's focused on yourself, if you live a life that's focused on you, not Jesus, you will live a life that sows to the flesh and in the end you will reap destruction. In other words, he says you'll be destroyed. But if you live a life that's focused and centered on Jesus, you will reap a life that comes from the Spirit, a life that's totally different than destruction. Verse 8 says eternal life. Eternal life. What's that? It's life that exists forever, for eternity, in the presence of God in a place called heaven. And so what Paul is doing is contrasting the, not only the seed we sow, but the life we reap in the end. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption and destruction. If we sow to the spirit, we reap eternal life. And that brings us to the first big truth I want to show you about the law of the harvest. The law of harvest governs salvation. It governs salvation. Guys, as I was studying this, I know there are many, many people, and for most of my life I was one of them, who read this text primarily about Christians and how we should live our lives. And certainly this does talk to us as followers of Christ on how to live our life. But I don't believe he's simply talking about us choosing as followers of Christ to live a certain kind of life. I believe he's really fundamentally going to the, the fact that we are saved by God's grace through faith in light of this principle of sowing and reaping. He says heaven and hell are in the balance there in verse 8. It's either destruction or eternal life. That's what he's talking about. If you live according to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. If you live according to the flesh, you will reap eternal destruction. But here's the deal. As I was looking at that, it brings up a really big question. It seems like Paul is saying you have to live a certain way to earn eternal life. And so the question, is Paul saying that we earn eternal life by the way that we live? Well, let me answer that. Absolutely not. If you've read through the book of Galatians, here's what you know. We are made right and kept right with God through faith alone in Christ alone by God's grace Alone, not our works. Galatians 2.16 says that we are not justified or right with God based on our good works of the law, but through faith in Jesus alone. We are only right with God through faith in Jesus. So how then does the law of the harvest connect with the fact we're saved and kept saved by God's grace through faith Alone. Well, you understand how that fits when you understand how Paul teaches that we sow those seeds to the Spirit. Let me show you a couple of verses from the book of Galatians to show and clarify how we sow seeds or how we live a life that's in the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this. And I want you to notice the role that faith plays in all of these verses. 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see it there? God gives his Spirit and he considers us righteous. Not because of the good works we do in this life, but because of our faith and trust in Jesus. In other words, God gives us a spirit through faith in Jesus. So I take him to be saying one of the ways that you will sow to the spirit is by receiving the spirit and being considered righteous with God through what? Through faith and not our works. Galatians chapter 5 verse 5 says this, through the spirit by faith. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. How does righteousness come to us? By working really hard and doing good things? No. By faith in Jesus through the work of the Spirit. That's how we live by the Spirit. That's how we sow seeds to the Spirit. Then in Galatians 5, 6, Paul summarizes our life in the Spirit by saying, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. He's talking about the good works that people were saying you had to do. And he says, none of those good works count for anything. Only what? Faith working through love. Here's what Paul says. The only life that matters is a life of faith in Jesus Christ that's expressed in love for others. So how does a life of love connect with the Holy Spirit. Well, a few verses later in Galatians 5.22, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the first description of the Spirit's fruit? Love. The Spirit of Christ produces the character of Christ in us, namely love for God and one another. And so here's how I understand Paul to be saying we sow seeds to the Spirit. I essentially hear him saying in light of all that he said in Galatians, Live a life, day in and day out, a life of faith in Jesus. So that Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, will live his life through you. That's how you sow seeds to the Spirit. You wake up every day and say, Spirit of God, live in me. Jesus, empower me. Jesus, I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself or you. Jesus, I need you. I trust you, I depend on you. And when you live a life of faith in Jesus, what do you reap in the end? Eternal life. You live a life of faith, you reap a life of eternal gladness in the presence of God. So here's the story, church. I do not take this law of harvest to be saying you have to work to earn your own salvation. It means you trust in Jesus, you depend on Jesus, and that's sowing seeds to the Spirit of God That he would reap eternal life in your heart. And that that means, though, there's another side to this corn, coin, to this corn. I've got fruit on my mind. Seeds of corn produce what, kids? Corn. There's another side to this coin. You see, there are some people who hear the truth that you are saved by grace through faith alone and not according to your works. And they conclude this. It doesn't matter how I live. I'm saved by grace, not my works. Jesus did the work for me, not work I do for him. And so it doesn't matter how I live. And Paul is giving us the law of the harvest to blow that error out of the water. It absolutely matters how we live. Listen to me, friend. If you say you believe that Jesus is Lord, but you don't live like you believe 
Jesus is Lord. That's an indicator that you don't believe that Jesus is Lord. I want you to hear what Jesus says about that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, look at this next phrase, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says there will be many people, many who say that Jesus is Lord. They pay him the lip service of calling him Lord, but then they'll be cast out of Jesus' presence in the end. You know why? Because true saving faith is not merely expressed in what we say. True saving faith is expressed in what we do. True saving faith does something. You know what it does? When it says Jesus is Lord, it then bows before Jesus and says, Jesus, you are Lord. Here's my life. Take all of me. You are my Lord. You have the right to tell me how to live. You have the right to tell me where to go. You have the right to tell me what to do. And I surrender my life to you. Here's all of me. It's all yours, Jesus. Do as you please. Make my life pleasing to you. Jesus, you are my Lord. And guys, that brings a sober and serious question. One that as I thought about and prayed over this week made me tremble. As I stood over here praying, knowing I was preaching this to you, it made me tremble. Are you living like Jesus Christ is Lord over your life? Is your life centered on you? Or on Jesus. Because that is a sober and serious question. Because if you live a life that pays lip service to Jesus as Lord, but you don't bow before Jesus as Lord, then it is an indicator that you likely don't believe that Jesus is Lord, no matter what you say. And Jesus says many in the end, will say, we called you Lord. And he will say, I never knew you. Church, I cannot tell you how I pray that we would not be among those who are flippant and casual and secular in the way that we live. Either Jesus Christ is Lord of all or Jesus Christ is not Lord at all. And Jesus Christ most definitely is Lord. And Paul says, through the inspiration of the Spirit, 
Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will also reap. The law of the harvest governs salvation. The second big thing we see is that the law of harvest is grounded in God's justice. Look at verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The basis, he says, for God giving this law of harvest is the fact that God will not be mocked. You see it there? He's saying, here's the basis. For God won't be mocked. He's given this law. The, the word mocked there comes from the Greek word for nose. And it means to turn up your nose at something. Kind of like what happens when I cook dinner. They turn up their noses at the something I made. To snub someone is another way of saying that. And here's what Paul is saying. God is not going to be snubbed like that. God in the end will not have his, your nose turned up at him. Why? Because he's just. Here's what he's saying. Those who reject Jesus as Lord will justly receive The consequence of their choice. God being just will make sure that justice is served. They will receive the consequence of rejecting Jesus as Lord. But then on the other hand, he's saying God will also justly give grace and mercy to those who trust in Jesus. Guys, our salvation is rooted in the justice of God. Do you know it's just for God to give you grace and mercy when you trust in him? Why? Well, because Jesus went to the cross and Jesus paid the price for our sin. Jesus has already endured God's punishment for our sin. And so our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. We do not bear it anymore. It's nailed to the cross of Christ. And it would actually be unjust for God to punish those who are united to Christ and their sin has been removed. And so he says, in the end, you will reap eternal life because God is just and he would not punish those whose sin was punished at the cross of Jesus. God is just and this law will stand forever. The law of the harvest is grounded in God's justice. And the last big truth we see is that the law of harvest guards our hearts. Look at verse 9. He says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, several years ago, Emily and I and our kids, we had a big garden planting day at our old house. Uh, we, we actually had to go to Home Depot and buy bags of dirt. And I can't tell you what it felt like to be a kid from Ohio who grew up around cornfields and had to go to Home Depot and buy dirt. It was a, a terrible feeling, especially because the price of dirt is outrageous. It's about the equivalent of gold per ounce. I don't know what they've got in that stuff. Actually, I do, and I don't want to talk about it. Anyhow, they had these bags of dirt that we had to bring home. We labored all day long making these raised garden beds. We got all that dirt in order. We got our seeds out and we planted them. We watered them. And day after day for the first couple of weeks, all of us with rolled up sleeves, a little sweat on our brow worked in our garden. About two weeks in, almost all of us had grown weary. You know why? Because we were hungry And we weren't getting anything out of that garden just yet. Matter of fact, we could not hardly see any change at all other than a big box of dirt. We wanted to eat vegetables. And all we had were bags of really expensive dirt. And here's what we learned. Harvest takes time. Harvest takes time. Sometimes you put in a work of a lifetime and wait to see 
the results. You know, all spring long, we had to weed and water and ward off bugs. And I just alliterated that naturally as a, as a preacher. I don't know how. We weeded, we warded off bugs, we watered. We were out there working all the time. We pruned, we trimmed, we helped those plants get established. And as tiresome as it was, there was something in my mind that kept me going on and on. I just anticipated the day when we would lay out this cornucopia. And I don't even know what that word means, but it feels like it's being used in context. A cornucopia of vegetables grown in our own garden. I envisioned the day We'd sit around that table and all of us laughing joylessly would eat peppers and tomatoes that we had grown in our own garden. And that's called idealistic distortion, friend. Um, But that's not the point. That's my dream, not the Lord's. The promise of harvest is what kept us going. And guys, that's how Paul's using this text. That phrase when he says, you will reap what you sow, many of us often hear that phrase and we consider it a negative thing. A lot of us use it in a negative way. We tell somebody that cuts us off going down the street, you'll reap what you sow, buddy, honk, honk, right? We think that reaping what we sow is an automatically negative thing, but that's not how Paul is primarily using this law. He's actually giving his brothers and sisters in Christ a word of encouragement, He's saying things like this, guys, keep walking by faith, keep living by the spirit, keep resisting sin, keep walking in Christ's power because the harvest is coming. Your labor is not in vain. You're going to reap everything that you have sown to the spirit. Listen to me, friend, the world is a dark and weary place to live these days. Did you know that? It's hard to live a life of Christ-centeredness in a world that's opposed so strongly to Jesus. Opposition to biblical truth, darkness, decay, discouragement is all around us. And it is easy. It is easy for us to grow weary because we look around our life and we wonder, what difference is it making in this world? Each headline is so devastating. It's hard to read the news. Well, listen, you're not reading all the news. There's good news. You want me to give you the good news? Here's the good news, guys. One day, and it might be today, Jesus Christ is coming back from heaven to this earth. And when Jesus comes again, you know what he's going to do? He's going to set this world in order. He's going to send the devil to hell where he belongs forever. He's going to make every wrong that's ever been done to you right by you and him. He is going to give his people, including you, the fruit of his own labor. And you're going to live in the presence of God forever. And you'll gather around the table, a table of the king of heaven. And you will enjoy the marriage supper of Jesus Christ himself. And you yourself will be his bride. The day is coming, friend, when Jesus will make it all well and good and holy and right. Do not grow weary. Harvest time is coming. It's dark and it's barren and it's hard and it's easy to grow weary. But Jesus is coming and at his right hand and in his presence, there's the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Jesus is coming again and harvest is coming with him. And as the song says, it will be worth it all 
when we see Jesus. Harvest is coming, friend. And before we close, I just want to give you two really practical applications that Paul gives us in our text on how we live out the law of the harvest. Very quickly, the first one is this. Live to bless others. Well, how do we apply this to our life? Well, live to bless others. Step out in faith. Look what verse 10 says. So then, so in light of the fact that you're living by the Spirit's power, a life that's not focused on self, but is liberated in love for God and one another, so then, in light of that, as we have opportunity, let us do good to who? To everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Guys, one of the ways that we live in light of the law of harvest is to simply live to bless others. Guys, that's a really practical expression of faith, whether you realize it or not. When you, when you just believe what Jesus says, that he's going to give you eternal blessing, and when you believe that you're going to inherit all of the riches God has to give, you don't have to live a self-centered life or a self-indulgent life. You can live a life that gives itself away because you believe Jesus is going to give to you eternal, abundant life in the end. You don't have to be focused on getting your way or getting all that you want because you'll believe by faith that Jesus is ultimately going to give you more than you could ever dream or ask for. So live to bless others, believing that Christ will live through you as you do. So what opportunity, let me ask you, has God given you to do good to others? Let me just ask you a really practical one on this day. How might God give you an opportunity to serve your mom on Mother's Day? Or to serve your dad as he's trying to serve your mom, kids? I'm just throwing that in for a little family maintenance there. How might God be calling you? To bless the people you'll pass in a restaurant or on your street or in your house today. A very practical way to live believing in Jesus is to live a life liberated in love, blessing those around us. The second practical way Paul gives us is really interesting. It's to invest in the ministry of the gospel. Look back at verse 6. It's actually how he starts this little text of scripture. He says, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is a really interesting thing for the guy who's teaching you to have to teach you this truth. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that those who receive the blessings of the ministry of the word, of being taught biblical truth, should invest into the ministry that shares truth with others. Primarily what he's describing here is a reference that churches are right to enable their pastors to make ministry of the word their means of earning an income. And he's, he's drawing off of other biblical texts. And you can write these down on the side if you want to read those later. Luke chapter 10 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 all talk about the, the rightfulness of churches sharing in the ministry of the word by supporting those who teach them the word. And church, I just think this is a perfect time for me to say how much your pastors appreciate your generosity. It's amazing to me. It is an amazing thing to me that I get to spend so much of my life diligently studying and praying and meditating and studying the word of God is a wonderful labor and it's a time-consuming labor. And you have been so generous to enable us to do this as a ministry 
that gives us, by God's grace, income. So on behalf of your pastors and the team of people who are employed as part of this church, I just want to say thank you, church. Thank you. Thank you for giving for the ministry of the gospel in this community. But I've got to tell you, I don't think this principle, while it's primarily directed at that dynamic, is limited to that dynamic. I believe the underlying principle is he's saying it's right for us to invest our money in the ministry that spreads the word of God throughout the world. That's why I believe he's linking our financial giving to sowing seeds to the spirit and faith. It's one of the most practical expressions of faith we have because the only way we give generously to the kingdom work of Jesus is when we literally believe the truth that Jesus says. We believe that he's Lord and so he has the right to tell us how to use his money. We believe that he is able to make 90% of our income go further than 100% when we faithfully follow him in giving. Biblical giving is an act of faith. It also expresses that we believe that Jesus and his gospel is more valuable than any other thing, including our finances. And so Paul says, here's a really practical way you can take your faith on display. Invest your life and your treasure in the ministry of the gospel. And as you live to give and live to love in serving others, he says this, no matter how hard it is, don't be weary. Your labor is not in vain. God won't be mocked as you sow in faith to the power of the spirit, trusting Christ to live in you. You will reap a harvest of righteousness. You will reap all you've sown. God will not be mocked. So don't be weary, church. Trust Jesus. Do good. Live in love to bless others. Give in generosity to the kingdom and keep your eye on the sky because Jesus is coming again and harvest is on the way. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we praise you for the powerful laws you've placed in our life, including the law of harvest. Lord, I thank you that by Jesus' power and grace, you will faithfully accomplish all you've begun in us. So Lord, help us, I pray, live with sobriety, with seriousness at the reality of this truth. I pray that none of us would simply pay lip service to Jesus as Lord, but we would bow our lives before him. And we would yield our whole self to him. God, I pray that, Lord, you would enable us today to depend on Jesus as our Lord to raise us up to a brand new kind of life. Lord, fill us with the power of your spirit. And Lord, as you do, I pray that we would not only be serious and sober, but I pray that you would make us filled with joy. That we would really believe that the day is coming. And it might be today when we will enjoy forever the fruit of Christ's work in us. So let us live in joyful anticipation of what you'll do in us. Lord, we praise you for Jesus. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.